Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again. When I get, I can't tell you how many times I've been asked this question. People either recommit their life to the Lord or they're, for whatever reason, if decided to commit themselves to the reading of the scripture. Sadly, that doesn't happen for a lot of people the day they get saved, if some people grow into that place. And so people both saved, just saved, rededicated, and maybe been saved a long time, all ask me this question. Pastor Jim, where would you recommend I start? And I hear a lot of people say stuff like, well, just start at the beginning. That's going to be cool, man, until you get past Exodus, and then you're going to lose interest real fast. <laughs> um and, and we shouldn't lose interest real fast, but let's face it, numbers is about numbers and numbers, unless you're account, accountant-minded, just, I just recommend starting somewhere else. And then so we hear people, and I hear people say, start in the book of John. Well, John's great, man, but it's also the most spiritual gospel. It's hard to conceive of what John's talking about. Read the first half of chapter one in John, and you'll walk away as confused as the day you gave your life to the Lord, if not more so. And so I don't recommend that, although I do recommend ultimately you read them. I recommend Mark. When people ask me, what should I read first? I have to give them two suggestions. Read Mark because it is 16 chapters divided perfectly in, the, in two sections of eight chapters apiece. The first eight chapters are the personhood and the authority of Christ Jesus, who he is. And the second are about his suffering, crucifixion, and ultimate victory, the second eight chapters. And so it's a very forward, this is who Jesus is, this is what he did, this is what he accomplished on your behalf. Uh, and it gives us a greater viewpoint or image of Jesus without a lot of stuff that is confusing sometimes in the other Gospels. And then I tell them to read James because once you know who Jesus is, then you've got a responsibility to act like you know who Jesus is. But we'll talk about James some other time. Justin loves it when we do our annual James series. So, <laughs> so anyway, that's where we're going and that's why. Because I want to, as quickly as I can, give you as much Jesus as I can this year. Mark is an action gospel. It's not as informative as Matthew. It was written to the Romans, uh, to the Christians in Rome. It isn't um, as illustrative as Luke, and it isn't as spiritual as John. It's just an action, this is who Jesus was, gospel. And so we're going to talk about that, because that's what we need. We need a no-fluff approach to Jesus. And... To get that, we need to understand who he was talking to. Like I said, he was talking to the Roman Christians, Christians in Rome, because the Roman Christians were suffering. They were under persecution. At the time of the writing of Mark, they were under Nero's persecution, which Nero had blamed the Christians for burning down Rome, and so they were being killed and murdered in incredibly heinous ways. You think we know persecution now? We don't. When I was in Israel um, in 2017, they took us to a coliseum <clears throat> that was standing and existing and still performing at the time 
of Mark. And all around the inside of this Colosseum were smoke shadows, like just kind of upside-down pyramids of smoke. And you can still see them staining the walls about every 10 feet all the way around this Colosseum. And what they would do is they would take the Christians, tie them to a post, and set them on fire so that the games within the arena could be illuminated. So Christians were lampstands. They, in this same arena, they would have lions come in and they would put 10 Christians in there and the Christians would have to either kill the lion or be killed. And then if they killed the lion, they ultimately sent another lion in there until they were all killed. This is the audience that Mark was talking to. It was an audience that knew what it meant to suffer for Christ Jesus. And that's part of the reason why I want to cover it this year because what they realized, what they come to realize, is that Jesus suffered, Jesus was crucified, Jesus walked, Jesus rose again and found victory, and we, because we belong to him, have access to the same thing. We are overcomers according to the word of God in Christ Jesus. And that's the main message that Mark wants the Romans the Christian Romans to know is you are a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You are an overcomer. doesn't matter if they set you on fire. It doesn't matter what they do to you. At the end of your life, you're going to be in eternity with God. So let me tell you about the God that you're supposed to be serving. And that's a message we need today, an uncompromised, actionable gospel. One that concerns itself with less with how you feel you and more with who is Jesus because if we can know who Jesus is we'll concern ourselves with less about how we feel and so I want to talk to you about Mark in chapter 1 <clears throat> there are three things Mark starts out with that demonstrate Jesus's earthly ministry there are three components, primary components. I'm sure there may be subcomponents, but there are three primary components of Jesus' earthly ministry. And we see them in Mark chapter 1, 35 through 42. In these verses, it says this In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Amen. So let me talk to you about the three components of Jesus' earthly ministry. First, Jesus' earthly ministry prioritized prayer. In the first verse, it says this. In the early morning, 
while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place, and was praying there. I want to explain to you what Jesus had done the day before because what he did the day before makes this passage more relevant. Jesus had spent the whole day before ministering to people until all hours of the night. It says they were all amazed in verse 27, I'm sorry, in verse 33, and the whole city had gathered at the door. That is where he was staying, which was Simon's mother-in-law. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. So his house, Peter's mother-in-law's house, was crowded with people searching after healing and cleansing and, and righteous or whatever it is they needed from God. And I can't imagine that Jesus went to bed early that night. But Jesus got up early that night because he prioritized prayer. It says here, before the, he left the house while it was still dark, very early in the morning. If you'll read this, it actually means well before it got light outside. So we're talking 2 or 3 o'clock probably in the morning after having spent most of the evening ministering to people, Jesus saw that it's most significant that he be a person of prayer. He came for the purpose of healing, and we're going to talk about all that in a moment, but his priority first was prayer because you can't do ministry. You can't meet the needs of the people if you are dry. You can't know what God calls you to do if you aren't praying. You don't know who God calls you to talk to if you aren't praying. You can't meet the needs of your city and the people in it if you aren't praying. You can't walk in the direction and the strength that Jesus Christ needs you to walk in, that God needs you to walk in, so you can fulfill the mission God gave us if we're not people of prayer. Amen. This was Jesus' priority. And so he prioritized prayer for direction and strength. Direction first. Let me talk about this. Jesus did what the Father told him to do. Many of us, just we just want to make our own decision. There's a reason why almost always I begin prayer with, God, give us wisdom and revelation. Because I need direction more than I need anything else. If I just cast lots about what the church is going to be doing next, if I don't aim at anything, the, the statement is that I'm going to hit nothing every time. And so in seeking God in prayer, we get the direction that we need. Jesus himself said John in John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus sought after God so that he could know what he was supposed to be doing. He sought after God for strength. How many of y'all could use a little bit more strength than you have right now? Your world's upside down, something's happening outside of your control or maybe inside of your control. You just made some bad decisions and now you're reaping the consequences of those things. And you need strength. Can I tell you, Jesus has been there too. Jesus needed the strength of the Father, the Holy Spirit, to walk because he walked as we walk, tempted in every way as we are tempted. There is no temptation that's not common to man. But Jesus, praise God, dealt with all of them and became victorious over them. It says in the Mount of Olives the night before he was crucified, he, he told God, I don't want to do this. If it's possible, take this from me. But according to your will, whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do it. 
you got to have direction first, but then you got to have the strength to stand under that direction. That doesn't happen by accident. That happens as we fall on our face before God and ask Him to reveal Himself to us. I don't know how people, I know I'm yelly and I'm, my voice is all weird, but I don't, I don't know how people live their life as a Christian without prioritizing prayer. What are you doing? You're walking in your own understanding. You have no glorified purpose. And because you have no glorified purpose, you have no ability to glorify the one that gave you purpose. That's good. Somebody ought to write that down. That's not in my notes. Can I tell you, God wants us to fall on our face, to leave our house early. Jesus could have sat <coughs> in his bed and prayed. He could have stared at the ceiling and prayed. He could have had his silent prayer request, which I don't like at all, because if you can't voice them to people you can trust, then how can I join my faith to you? People say, I got silent prayer requests. No, what you mean is people around the church have used your prayer request as an opportunity to gossip about you, and now you don't trust them. I say that because we need to be trustworthy if we're expected to pray for other people. If we're going to prioritize prayer, stop using other people's prayer requests as an excuse to talk about them. Right, <laughs> trying. But we need to prioritize prayer. We need to understand that God called us to be prayer, prayers. If Jesus had to pray, why are we so arrogant to think that we shouldn't? Jesus, the Son of God, had to pray for direction and strength. And we're wondering why we're stuck out in the middle of the woods, lost as last year's Easter egg, because we don't pray. It's because we haven't submitted to the God that gave us life in the first place. I'm not talking about prayer for the sake of talking about prayer. Prayer is a very easy thing to talk about because everybody wants to talk about it. But the problem is everybody wants to talk about it and nobody wants to be about it. The church because Christ was a person of prayer, because his ministry consisted of prayer, we should, we should be people of prayer too. This should identify our earthly ministry. Did you know you've been given an earthly ministry? He could have laid on his back, but he didn't, and probably would have been expected to. Matter of fact, I know he would have expect, been expected to because when he wasn't in the house, his friends went to look for him. Like, where you at? Man, you're busy. I know you're tired. You should have slept in today. Now, I'm not saying I don't sleep in from time to time. But you know what he thought was more important? The work that God called him to. More important than the comfort of his bed, more convenient than the comfort of his house. He wanted to get out and get away. So how do we prioritize prayer? We prioritize prayer like Jesus did. It was his habit to pray. He got away from everything to pray. We want to pray. How many of you guys try to pray in a crowded room and you end up watching other people or a noisy space and you end up distracted or maybe even in a silent room and you still end up distracted because you let your mind run with all this crazy static white noise? Halfway, three minutes through our prayer, we're all, man, I actually would like that cheeseburger or whatever it is you fantasize about. <laughs> I fantasize about cheeseburgers. 
but it's because we haven't disciplined ourselves to be people of prayer. It's a discipline. You got to carry it like a discipline on purpose with intentionality. Amen. So why was he a purpose person of prayer? Why did he concern himself with slipping away into the wilderness to pray? Because he had a purpose. Jesus, his earthly ministry was one of purpose. It's number two if you're taking notes. It says, Simon and his companions searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. Like I said, they, they expected him to be at his house. But he had something more important to do than sit around and do nothing, or lay in, or sleep in, or be comfortable. He said this, he said to them, look, at, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And they went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee. Listen, that is what I came for. This is why God sent Jesus to preach to us that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. He came out of the wilderness, and this is what he said. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His primary purpose was the preaching and the teaching of the kingdom of heaven. He wanted people to know that there is a consequence for the way that they are living. He needed them to know that he was the answer to that consequence, that he was the one that would remove judgment from them, that he was the only one capable of living a perfect life so that they might ultimately be perfected in him. Amen. And he declared this over and over and over again. Let me, let me give you a little bit of this. <clears throat> He started, the first thing he declared was his purpose. When he first came out of the desert, it says in Luke that 4, 18 and 19, that he went into the synagogue, got the scroll, and this is what he said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he was anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives in recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. You think those preach, proclaim, and proclaim words are in there by accident? The Holy Spirit put every comma, everything in the Scripture for a purpose so that we would understand that it is by Christ Jesus and His teaching and His life that we know that we have the hope of a gospel, that even though we were poor in spirit, we're not poor in spirit anymore. Even though we were oppressed, we're no longer oppressed, but we are free in Christ Jesus. We're not captives. That jail cell has been flung wide open, and we stand in the presence of an earthly or a heavenly God for all of eternity. These are the promises that God made us, and he made those by preaching and teaching the word of God to the people. Repent, let the kingdom of God for the kingdom of God is at hand. Am I getting excited? Yes. You know why? Because I want you to get excited. He continues in Luke 4, 43. He says, he said to them, listen to this with these words, it cracks me up. I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities, for I was sent for this purpose. When he came out of the desert, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Over and over and over again, Jesus had a singular purpose. These other two purposes that I'm going to talk about, one of them being prayer, 
were so that he might be wholly effective in his primary purpose, which was preaching and teaching the kingdom of heaven, so that we all may be saved. Why do I tell you what Jesus did 2,000 years ago? Because you're responsible to the same today. Paul said it in Corinthians, to the Corinthian church, I have but one message to give you, Christ and him crucified. And that should be enough. People ask me from time to time, they'll, not so much the people that come to church here, because I think you guys don't mind the fact that I'm willing to step on your toes, but people will listen in from other places and be like, man, you're, you're hard on your people, man. And I was all, listen, bro, we only got one message. And it's that Christ and him crucified. And if you don't tell them the truth, I'm not a self-help pastor. You want 10 steps to a better life, you need to go somewhere else. Because Jesus didn't tell you 10 steps to a better life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He made it simple for us. You don't have 10 steps that you got to do to accomplish righteousness. You have to believe in Christ Jesus. For everyone who proclaims the name of Jesus shall be saved according to the word of God. And so Paul had one message. We should have one message because it's the gospel that saved. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It doesn't mean the compromised gospel. It doesn't mean the comfortable gospel. It doesn't mean the gospel that doesn't talk about your sin. It doesn't talk about the gospel that requires something from you. The gospel requires something from us. But you know what? Praise God. It's the power of God unto salvation to all people. First the Jew and then the Greek. That's us. We're the Greek, just so you know. But you know what? People are going dying and going to hell because we're scared to live in our earthly ministry as Jesus lived in his. Man, we can do better. We can do better. And we should do better. R.C. Ryle, I was reading a commentary on Mark, and he said this, By preaching, sinners have been awakened. By preaching, saints are built up. By preaching, Christianity is being brought into a heathen world. Can I tell you that's enough reason for us to open our mouth? I've said this multiple times. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, but scared to tell other people about him or refuse to, you're the most vile person on earth. You know, that's not fair. Well, it is fair. Because this life is but a whisper. But you're comfortable enough in your own space that you're willing to let them suffer an eternity in hell because you're too scared to tell them the truth. That makes you pretty vile in my opinion. And I'd say because we've been commissioned to do better, it'd be in God's opinion too. I would question anybody that tasted grace and isn't willing to tell somebody else about grace, whether they tasted grace at all. Pastor, you're being condemning. I'm not being condemning. I'm telling you the truth of the Word of God. Because this is what it says. <clears throat> Romans 10, 13 and 14. I said this 13 already. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one in whom they have not believed? How can they do it? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? 
You're all, man, I just relinquished my responsibility. He said, preacher, I ain't no preacher. Oh, but you are. Because if you'll study that word, preacher means one used in the public proclamation of the gospel and matters pertaining to it. Anybody got something to say about the gospel? Anybody want to talk about the Jesus pertaining to the gospel? That according to the word, you're the preacher that somebody else is waiting to hear. Not me. You know what my job is? My job is to equip you. Your job is to go out there and tell people about Jesus. Why am I so passionate? Because I'm a force multiplier. That's a military term. If I can get 20 people in a room and convince each of them to get in a room of 20 people, then in just a couple of iterations, we've got 2,000 people that have been told the gospel message. But that happens only as you accept the challenge to be equipped, to move forward, to walk out of these walls and say, you know what, Launch Point Church is a cool place, but it ain't the place. My The place is the place next to my desk or the place next to my house or the place next to me in the grocery store line. My place is to proclaim Jesus because Jesus proclaimed Jesus. We have to be willing to tell because Jesus gave his everything so that we could tell. Amen? So what is the gospel, Pastor Jim? I'm going to give you, and I've, I've done this for seven years. Write it down if you need some help. It's not hard. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you're not telling people that they don't deserve Jesus before you tell them about Jesus, you're not telling them the gospel. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But John 3.16 says, but God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So I have a problem, but praise God, he sent a solution. How do I acquire that solution now is the only question that I need an answer to. And according to Romans 10, 9, it says, to declare with your mouth, believing in your heart, or I'm sorry, to declare with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you shall be saved. What does that mean? That means I have to say that Jesus is Lord and act like Jesus is Lord, which means I'm a slave to righteousness. I don't get the opportunity to tell God what I want. He only has the right to tell me what he wants. And it's my job to submit. And to believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead is to say that he lives eternally. And because I have declared him as Lord, I have faith to believe that I'll live eternally too. That's the gospel. Tell it however you want to tell it. But that's the gospel. I can use flowery words. I can use po poetic nuance. I can do all kinds of things. I'll be honest with you, I'm pretty good at cha charging up a crowd. I did it for 10 years, 20, 10 years at police academy. I can get a room full of dudes excited about just about anything. But you know what I can't do? I can't save you. There's no fancy anything that I can do to cause you to feel conviction. Most I can do is maybe get you a little excited but it's not going to create heart change. Only the gospel can do that. Only the fact that you were a sinner and didn't deserve it, but Jesus came so that you could have it, and all you have to do is declare it, is enough for people to be saved. It's amazing to me, Charles Spurgeon, when he gave his life to the Lord, <clears throat> there was a, it was a snowstorm. If I remember it, I believe it was Charles Spurgeon. There was a snowstorm in whatever town he was from, 
And he decided for whatever reason he was going to get up and go to church. It wasn't his habit to do it. He gets up, he trudges through the snow, gets to the church, and there's only two or three people in there. The preacher didn't even show up that day because of the snow. One of the older guys in the church got up and read a passage out of the Bible. He wasn't a preacher. He just read a passage out of the Bible. Said a close, short prayer, closed his Bible. And God used the Word of God to convict Charles Spurgeon, the prince of pastors, the prince of preachers, to come to a knowing understanding of who he was. Didn't take an educated man. Didn't take an eloquent man. It took a man of conviction willing to stand and say, my earthly ministry has a purpose, and that purpose is to declare the name of Jesus. And then finally, Jesus' earthly ministry was one of power. <clears throat> it says this, verse 39b, it says, preaching and casting out demons. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him, falling on his knees before him, and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. You know what didn't happen, man? He didn't. Twenty years later, man, he finally got his healing. Twenty years later, this stuff fell off. Immediately, because the power of God rested on Jesus, he used the power that he walked in. He walked in the Spirit. That's what the Bible says. Luke at 9, 1 and 2. I'm sorry. It's not, that's not right. He healed them all in every disease and sickness. Let me find this verse. It's important. Well, I say it's important. If I can't find it, it ain't that important. <laughs> I'm sorry. Fullness of power and power of the Spirit. With the Holy Spirit power came Holy Spirit authority. I thought I had the verse read. Oh, here I do. Luke 4 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan as was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. Our job is to be full of the Spirit. Jesus Christ used the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit to bring people to an understanding of who He was. You know why miracles happen? You know why healings exist? You know why people don't walk in disease? You know why the touch of Jesus Christ saved people? Because those miracles are, are signposts that God is real. They are evidence that a God exists. Let me tell you, when you see somebody that all, by all rights and purposes shouldn't be living and God reach out and touch them, you'll never refuse the idea or the understanding that Jesus Christ is real. There was a person in our church a couple years ago that had, had a disease I won't name out, proven on paper this is what she had. She was prayed over. She came back. She got excited. She told me, she said, Jesus healed me. I said, that's great. Go find some medical paperwork. I want proof before we start talking about it. She went to the doctor, came back, and every test that she took said that this disease that was supposed to kill her several years ago was completely gone, and she's still alive today. Let me tell you, that's the hand of God moving so that the unbeliever can say, wow, maybe God is real. And you know what? He gave us that authority. He, he walked in that authority, but gave us that authority too. He walked in that power and gave us that power too. 
We say that we believe in the power of God, that we are righteous, but we don't actually pray for folks, and we don't extend an opportunity to them to care enough about them to stop and lay hands on them and say, let me pray for you. I believe in the name of Jesus by faith that you can be healed, that Jesus Christ took our diseases and our infirmities. I believe that according to God's will, he desires that we walk in wholeness because this is what the Bible tells us. And if Jesus walked in power, we should walk in power. If Jesus walked in authority to cast out demons, I believe we have the ability to do that too. Not so we can say, oh, look at what I did, but because I can then say, look what Jesus did. Because if your miracle isn't happening through you to get to Jesus, if you're trying to draw people to you, you're not going to walk into power and authority you're supposed to anyway. God's going to say, I'm not honoring that. Why would I honor that? I'm not getting no glory for that. God's most concerned with his own glory. And so he, Jesus, earthly ministry existed in power and whole and authority by the Holy Spirit. And God no longer rests on you by the power of his spirit like he did in the Old Testament. He rests in you according to the New Testament. Did you catch that? Some of y'all looking at me like you didn't catch it. In the Old Testament, the spirit rested on folks. And the New Testament spirit rests in you. I'm not saying use the Holy Spirit, but allow the Holy Spirit to use you. So what is our purpose? What is our calling? What, is, what should our earthly ministry look like? Our earthly ministry should look like Jesus' earthly ministry. It should be one of prayer. It should be one of purpose. It should be one of power. And it's time that the church got off of its seat and declared the victory that Jesus Christ died to give us. You know why Mark wrote this book? I told you at the beginning. So that the people suffering in persecution might know that Jesus came and Jesus overcame, and you can too. That's the earthly ministry of Jesus. And it's my prayer that it's, it's my earthly ministry too. And I'm going to keep doing it. Until everybody in this city is saved. But I can't do it by myself. I need you to I need you to I need you to help. To walk in prayer, to walk in your purpose, to walk in the power that God gave you. Amen.